Hey, I wanted to ask you if you understand the words. The words of the song that we just sang. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Do you know what that means? It's a powerful phrase. And I hope as you sing it, you're declaring it. It means when the storms come, your ship, the little boat of your life, has an anchor. Where is it? It's not in your feelings. It's not in anybody else. It's not in your budget or your bank account or your health. It's behind the veil seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father in Christ alone. Right? That's what Hebrews says. We have this hope like an anchor for the soul that goes in behind the veil. Just quickly, this is not the message, by the way. What that means is, you know, when you're in a ship in a storm and you throw your anchor over, that chain disappears into the water. And you hope that down there somewhere, it's holding something solid so your ship doesn't get swept away in the wind. Well, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's beaten Satan. He's beaten your sin. He's beaten hell and death and taken the sting away. And your hope is in that only. Can't see it yet, but trust your anchor holds within the veil. Praise God. So wonderful that we have that hope. And it's actually that that we're going to talk about this morning as we begin 2 Peter chapter 3. So take your sword out. The Bible says that the, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. He's going to do some cutting this morning. And I hope that we will be using it to do some cutting this week. We're going through 2 Peter under this title, uh, Escaping Corruption. Uh, that's the, the overall theme. You can find that in the first five verses of the book. In fact, let's review that just for a second. The first thing we need to remember is that this letter is written to those who have like precious faith. I think that's the King James version that I learned when I was a kid. Precious faith like ours for salvation. Has God given you faith to believe that the Bible is true? If so, this letter's for you. Second thing is that we believe the promises of God in the Bible. So we have faith to believe that the promises are true for us. That's in verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1. These great and precious promises give us everything we need through our knowledge of Christ. The third thing is that we hear and follow God's call through or to his glory and goodness. So his glory has been revealed in Jesus. That becomes a call for me to come out of my sin, to follow Jesus. And we hear that call, and through that call, we know the one who's calling us. I prayed with a young lady this morning in the first service. And I just sensed the Lord was calling her. She's not a Christian yet. She hasn't accepted the Lord yet. But she came for prayer. I said, why did you come? She said, I don't know. I'm not sure. I just believed that I was supposed to come. That's call. The Lord's calling her. So pray for that young lady. Uh, then we share in his divine nature. So verse 4 says, we become like him when we are born into him becoming his daughter or son, then we share in the divine nature and we escape the corruption that is in the world by evil desires because our desires are now good desires by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. See how much there is in this? 
Then we make every effort to add to our faith these seven elements, right? Virtue, or the NIV says goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And notice that the destination of all of this is love. That we would grow in our love. The Bible says that the love of most will grow cold because corruption increases. Evil increases, putting out the fire of our love for God, for one another, for the lost. The focus of this effort that we are making to add to our salvation is to end up being like God who says, I am love. Today, oh, sorry, chapter 2, that was all chapter 1. Chapter 2 was all about false teachers. So Peter's about to die, and we're going to read that in a minute, but he's, he's thinking, when I go, there's not going to be anyone to teach the people what's true. So i got to write it down so that they won't follow false teaching after I'm gone. And we've been going through that for several weeks, 22 verses where Peter basically rants about who these horrible people are that will teach the false doctrine to the people of God. And that's what we're trying really hard to avoid at Calvary, going verse by verse and remembering what the Bible says. So today's chapter, today's message is on the first two verses of chapter three. I thought a lot about uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, rightly divide the word of truth. I thought, where do I stop? So chapter three is going to talk about the end of the world. I'm excited. We get to read about Where are we going? What's going to happen? But I couldn't get past verse 2 this week. So we're going to do two verses. And it's the, the point of all of these letters is to remember what God has said and obey what Christ has commanded. And another way to say that is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That would be Paul in Romans 12, verse 2. How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Raise your hand. All right. Maybe half of us. I would say the Chronicles of Narnia, besides the Bible, are the way I know who Jesus is the best. Of any other book I've ever read, theology or whatever, the Chronicles of Narnia give me a sense of who is Jesus, how does he relate to us, what does he call us to do. So I would really challenge those of you who have not read them, or even if you've not read them for a while, go back to the Chronicles of Narnia and find uh, a new... I've read them, oh, probably 10 times to different groups or my kids, and I find myself getting teared up all the time going through. So The Silver Chair is one of the seven books in the series. You can buy it in Portuguese in one volume now. So one volume with all seven books in it. Uh, By the way, don't think that watching the movie is the same thing. It it rarely is, but in this case, it really isn't. So you really need to read the book. So The Silver Chair tells about two kids, Eustace Scrub and Jill Pole, who are at an English boarding school. They live there. They hate it. It's one of those bad modern schools. And they get bullied all the time because they're, they're younger. So they're getting bullied one day. They're getting chased and they're running together and they're trying to hide, but the bullies are finding them. And they run all the way out to the perimeter wall of the school. And when they get to the wall, they've got no other recourse but to cry out. And Eustace has been to Narnia, so he knows Aslan, who is the Jesus figure in the story. He says, Aslan, help us. It's this beautiful picture of prayer for help. 
And then he goes up to this door in the wall that's always locked, and he just for some reason tries it. It happens to be open. He opens the door, and when they walk through the wall, they are suddenly in Narnia, which is this imaginary children's world that represents the kingdom of God. By the way, C.S. Lewis wrote that book as a children's story, not because he thought it would sell better or because he was excited about children's stories, but because in his words, the kingdom of, of God is a place you only enter as a child. And Narnia is that. Once you grow old, too old, you can't go in anymore. So they go into this wall. Uh, they have a little tussle, a little argument. And Jill ends up pushing Eustace off of a cliff. Now, don't worry, Eustace doesn't die. A giant lion, Aslan, comes up behind them and blows Eustace into his mission. Blows him away. He goes flying away and he ends up being fine. It's a great fantasy story. Well, Jill turns around and encounters the Lord Jesus with great fear because it's this huge lion. And she thought, am I going to be eaten or are we going to talk? And in the process of the conversation, she meets Aslan and she receives her mission. And Aslan says, I've called you here for a mission. Jill says, wait a minute, we called you. He says, yes, but before you prayed, I was calling you. See? Before you pray, Jesus is calling you to pray. The reason you want to pray is because he's drawing you in. And so Aslan says, yeah, I called you here for a mission. I'm going to give you four clues to the mission. I want you to repeat those clues every day. He calls them signs. The first one is that Eustace is going to meet somebody who's an old friend, and I want you to go talk to him. He's going to tell you what to do. First friend you meet, go talk to him. Well, they miss it. In fact, they miss all three of the first four signs. Jill forgets them. She stops reviewing them every night, and she forgets the signs and messes things up over and over and over. And C.S. Lewis is telling our children and us, remember the signs of the mission. Remember why I called you here. Review it every day. And I'll let you read the book to find out how it turns out. It's very worthwhile. Peter is doing the same thing Aslan did. He's saying, remember. Remember. Let's read through the first two verses again of 2 Peter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Let me ask you something. If you knew that your house or your apartment would burn down completely next month, would you continue with your plans for renovation? I wouldn't. If you knew that a certain financial investment would never lose money, it's guaranteed to never lose, always grow, always gain, would you put some money in that investment? Yeah, I would. That'd be a pretty good investment. I remember back 20 years ago, I had the, the opportunity, no, 25 years ago, to buy some Walmart stock in the U.S., and I decided, nah, who knows what that's going to do. Boy, that would have been a wise decision financially for sure, wouldn't it? If we knew the future, 
our action in the present would be right. Every time, right? But God has protected us from knowing most of what happens in the future. And yet here Peter is saying, I want to remind you of what the prophets predicted so that you will obey the command of the Lord Jesus in the present. That's basically what these two verses are saying. But let's start at the beginning. Dear friends, he says dear friends, or in the ESV, beloved. Look around and see if you've got some friends here. Do you have friends here, or are these just those other people that come to Calvary? I hope, I pray, I push the potluck so that we can become friends. We need to be friends. In the Lord, we are friends. He called them friends. He stopped calling them servants and started calling them friends. That means you hang out. That means you make an effort to call each other and encourage each other and give to each other. Care about what other people care about, even though it's not what you care about. Let's be a group of friends and not just a Sunday club. I'd say that especially to you men, us men. Women have a, a, a lot easier time. They, you guys, you women feel the need for friendship. We guys, we want to be tough and sort of the lone ranger. Well, guess who the lion devours? It's lone ranger sheep, right? Sheep that aren't in the flock, sheep that aren't gathering with groups. Let's be friends. Let's be friends. Now he says, I want to give you two reminders. Both of these letters that I have written are as reminders. Uh, turn over to 2 Peter 1, 13 to 15. If you have your Bible there with you, look at uh, 2 Peter 1, 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And here we are, 2,000 years later, reminding each other of these same things that Peter wanted the church to know after he died. So he said he wants to, to remind them of these things for what purpose? To stimulate wholesome thinking. Stimulate wholesome thinking. And there we go back to Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your mind needs to be reminded. Remind your mind of what's true. Because we're constantly being pressed into the mold of the world around us. Every time you look at an advertisement or an Instagram post or even drive down the street, the world around us is trying to squeeze us into its idea of what success looks like, what beauty is, what, mean, what, what means something, what is significant. The world has wrong ideas about all those things. And Peter is saying, I want you to think wholesomely based on what the scripture says and not just what you feel. What do you think about? What drives those thoughts? What does your mind go around and around and around with? Maybe it's trauma. Maybe somebody else has really, really hurt you. Guess what? The blood of Jesus can cover that. The waves of his mercy can wash away that pain. Maybe it's anxiety or lust or envy. Wholesome thinking based on what the scripture says, who we are, who Jesus is, and why we're here 
can free us from those things. When we know the truth about the past and believe the predictions of the future through the gospel, we live obediently in the present. So there's two things here that we're to recall. The words spoken by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First, the words spoken by the holy prophets. Uh, go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. Peter talks about these prophets. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ, now that's interesting, it was the Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament revealing these things to the prophets, in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, us, the church, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now we know from Acts chapter 10 that Peter was a devout Jew. His family went to synagogue. He heard these prophets proclaimed by the priests, by the local uh, religious leaders. Peter says to God when that sheep came down with all those unclean animals, I've never eaten anything unclean. That's a pretty astounding statement. Not, when he was a not even when he was a rebellious 14-year-old, right? He always obeyed the rules. He believed the Bible. He followed what the Old Testament taught to the best of his ability. So when he says prophets predicted, he knows what he's talking about. He remembers that he had studied those things. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about this wholesome thinking that that knowledge of the prophets produces. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. See, that's the wholesome thinking that Peter wants us to have. Remember where we're going. Remember what the prophets said would happen in the future and then live in the present in obedience and joy because you know your house is going to burn down. So you may not need a mansion. Right? That may not be success in the end. Because it's all going to burn up anyway. We're going to find that out in 2 Peter chapter 3 further on. Look at 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. So he's saying, I've written you two letters. Both are to remind you of what the prophets said. 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. You will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's saying prophecy is a light shining in a dark place. I think he's talking about the future. If you look at what the prophets have predicted, you can know something about where we're going, about what's going to happen. And that affects what you do today. 
It's a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And in that sense, it's the rising of the morning star, but also in your heart. So by faith, you can believe that the investment of your time and energy and conversation and money in the kingdom is truly a good investment because you know what's going to happen to that investment in the future. He talks about the words of the prophets, plural. Then he comes to the command given by our Lord Jesus Christ through your apostles. First of all, your apostles is kind of shocking. Your apostles. Have you claimed the apostles as your apostles? These are my leaders. These are my teachers. These are those that are charting a course for me to live in, for me to walk. And I take their word as authoritative. Praise God, we have the epistles. We have the gospels. They're in our language. They've been translated who knows how many times. All the study helps in the world. We can know. I challenge you to claim the apostles' teaching as yours. But then I wrestled with this singular command. What is the command? Of all the things Jesus said we were supposed to do, what's the command that Peter was referring to here? And I came down to two. And I've sort of married them. So if you have trouble with that, we can talk. But I think what he's talking about here is the new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13. A new commandment. Now, he'd already talked about the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those aren't new. The new commandment was a little different. Love one another, you followers of me, as I have loved you. That became his command, the command of the Lord. John talks that way too. But I believe he's also referring to the Great Commission. Because the last words of Jesus were, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, why? Because I have loved you, you have loved me, and if you love me, you will keep my commandment. Which is, go find the rest of my brothers and sisters that are out there in the dark. Because my father wants his table full at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's the command he's talking about. And I think they're married because we don't obey the Great Commission for lack of love for the lost. And I'm talking about myself. I don't seek to make disciples of the lost any more than I already do because I really don't love them enough. And it's because I haven't understood Christ's love for me and my love for him that I then don't obey in the present. And Peter is trying to stimulate me and you to this wholesome thinking of, why wouldn't I obey Christ's command if I believe the prophet's predictions? It gives me joy today to obey because I know where we're going. Or maybe I should be pointing this way. For you guys, it's this way. The prophets are back there. Future's over here. Basically, here's what he's saying. Remember what the prophets have predicted so you'll obey with joy what Jesus has commanded. Remember what the prophets have predicted so that you will obey what Jesus has commanded you. If you find yourself disobeying the commands of Jesus in the present, don't pull on your bootstraps. It's not trying harder. It's renewing your mind. It's going back to the scripture and saying, wait wait a minute. Who am I? Who is Jesus? Why am I here? What's he doing? Where are we going? 
And when you get all of that straight, your mind starts thinking right. You, you, you get sober. You snap out of this worldly way of living and thinking, and you think, no, I'm going to live like it's true. I'm going to spend my money like I can actually lay up treasure in heaven. Why doesn't Editi Moreira have enough support? It's because people don't believe that investing in an old woman who's telling the gospel to people in Amazonas will make gold in heaven in their account. They don't believe it. We don't believe it. Wholesome thinking because of the words of the prophets. You remember Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah? They get a visit from two angels. Two angels come to their house and they say, guess what? Your city's going to be burned. Find whoever will go and let's get out of here. Well, he had two daughters and they apparently had two boyfriends. And I think they went in the middle of the night to those doors and hey, guess what? Two angels are visiting us and they say the city's going to burn tomorrow. Let's go. Get your bags. And the boys are like, what? Two angels? Two angels are at your house? What? What do you mean? I, I got a party to go to tomorrow. Right? I'm just going to get my new car out of the, the dealership. I'm not going anywhere. You guys are crazy. Leave me alone. I'm going back to bed. Right? The only people that left were Lot and his wife and his two daughters because they didn't believe the prediction of the angels. I'm afraid that's how we are too, too often. That all of our joy comes from worldly pursuits and investments and we forget that we're not going to stay here forever. So let's do this. Let's, add, let's actually act on what Peter is asking us to do and look through some of the words of the prophets. You can write these down if you want. I went, I went into uh, the Old Testament and found some predictions of the future. Uh, or you can just write the references and look them up later. Isaiah 65, 17 to 18. Isaiah 65, 17 to 18. This is what it says. Behold, I, God speaking, will create new heavens. And a new earth, the former things, that is this earth and these heavens, will not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. It's true. Believe it. David predicted in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, there wasn't even a temple then. He's talking about the eternal house in heaven where Jesus is inviting us to come in and live forever. How David knew that? The only way is that the Spirit of Christ revealed it to him. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar about a stone cut out without human hands falling at the image that represents all human kingdoms and this is how Daniel interprets it in Daniel 2.44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. There's the investment that never loses. Psalm 67 Psalm 67 starts with God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. But at the end, the psalmist says, God will bless us when all the ends of the earth reverently fear him. David is saying that 
as all the children of God are gathered at the table, we will, we will come to the end in a glorious, joyful reunion. The last one, if you like shuhasko, this is a special one, Isaiah 25. You should put this near your shuhaskeda. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wine. On the mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Hallelujah. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. We're going to Shuhasko, folks. Smile, even when you're hungry, even when you can't afford picanha. It's coming. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. Look at this. There are 18 of these with numbers and numbers of, of passages. They're not in order. This is not chronological order. I'm not proclaiming eschatology here. I'm just saying that the Old Testament predicts these things. Look, confusion in a last battle. Seven years divided into two periods of three and a half of tribulation. Corpses, sometimes piles and piles of them. Men killed by fire and hailstones. Now let's just stop there. We're going we're to keep seeing more, but... If you believe this is going to happen, what will you expect life to be like going forward? Are you going to expect it to be all roses and soft worship music? It's going to get rough. So instead of going on a pony ride, hang on. It's a bucking bronco. But enjoy it. Enjoy it because your father's in control and you already knew it was coming. And when there are wars and rumors of wars and famines in many places, you can say, okay... I'm hanging on. It's not fun, but I believe. Wholesome thinking. Look at some more. Earthquakes. The regathering of Israel. Some of that's already happened. Nations gathered to war. A Jewish revival happened somewhere in there. Abominations of desolation. The second coming of Jesus, the beast or the Antichrist, ten nations, kings of the east and the north and the south, signs in the sky, and a remnant that will be saved. If you persevere to the end, you will be saved. I'm afraid we don't obey because we don't believe. Oh, I think somebody just sent me an airdrop. <laughs> and I, like a dummy, accepted it. <laughs> if Jesus commands me to love you as he loved me, and I don't do it, I don't need to try harder to love you. I need to remember what he said, where we're going, who we are. I'm a member of you, and you're a member of me, and we will be together forever in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what makes me love you. That's what makes me go and find disciples. Because Jesus is waiting for all to come in, all to be part of his body. We don't obey because we don't believe the promises. Work on your faith of the promises and you will obey the command. We don't make disciples 
because we don't obey the command to love the Lord our God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourself and love each other like Jesus loved us. It's all connected. So what am I telling you to do, or telling us to do, telling me to do? Well, number one, which has been said over and over and over, but I do want, to, want you to hear it with a new urgency. Read, meditate, memorize the scripture in the Old and New Testaments with urgency, with fervency, every day. There are people saying, don't read the Old Testament, it's a different God. Baloney! It's all one story. 44 authors over 1,500 years wrote a library to tell us what God is doing and what he will do through his church. It's all there. It's so easy to forget. You know, this week preparing for this, I went all the way through 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Didn't take long. Took less than an hour. And I saw all kinds of stuff in there and thought, did I preach about that? I've already gone all the way through 1 Peter and now we're coming to the end of 2 Peter and I've already forgotten. Shows you how weak my brain is. We need to be reminded every day what is true. Remember the signs, like Aslan would say. Review, read, meditate, day and night, Psalm 1 says, so that you renew your mind and have wholesome thinking. Second, believe what is written. More than what you see, more than what you feel. Like that psalmist in Psalm 67, he's saying, bless us, God, bless us, God. And God's saying, when everybody's in, then I'll bless you. Even Abraham believed all the way to his death, but he did not receive what he asked for because God had planned it with us, with everybody. Then he's going to get the land, the promised land, which is the new heaven and the new earth. And then finally, do it. Take intentional, obedient action in the present based on future hope rooted in the truth of God's word. Be intentional about it. When that offering plate passes, don't do what you feel. Do what you know to be true. God gives to a joyful giver. God loves a joyful giver. Let's obey because we believe those promises. You know, Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 12 about a guy that made more money than he could imagine. His business was successful, the money was pouring in, and he asked himself, what shall I do? Now, if you find yourself asking, what shall I do? I challenge you to go to the light of God's word to help you decide. Because this guy decided to build bigger barns so he could save all of his extra stuff. Sounds like some garages I've seen in North America. Let's just save it all so that we can live easy for the rest of our lives. I'm going to retire early. And what does Jesus say at the end of that story? You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then he says in verse 21, Luke 12, 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jim Elliott said it better than any of us could. He said, he is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Let's pray. I believe a seed or two have dropped into the soft soil of your heart. Would you cover up that soil, that seed, with commitment now to obey?
Maybe it's a seed that's been dropping there for some time. The Lord's been speaking to you about something and he's reminded you this morning that he really wants you to do it. He's not going to let you alone until you do it. Make a commitment right now, today, to do something. Take a step in that direction of obedience. If you haven't been reading the Word, for instance, set an alarm that reminds you to go to the Word. Father, thank you so much that Peter wrote it down so that today we could remember and remind ourselves so that we could have wholesome thinking stimulate us this week to think correctly about our lives, about the world, about you in the future because you have revealed to us what your plan is. If there's anyone in this room, Lord, who has not made you king of their life, I pray that that would happen today. We give you all the glory and honor and wait before you as we trust and obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.